Welcome to Homilies Plus. I'm Deacon Adam Conk, and each week I'll share with you one of my homilies, plus a great unscripted conversation further exploring the scriptures with guests from around the world. Whether you are a devoted Catholic or exploring your faith, join us for an encounter with God's Word through the Holy Scriptures. This week you'll hear my homily on our Heavenly Father from the first Tuesday of Lent. The first reading is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 10 through 11, in which the Lord reveals that the word he sends to the earth is not in vain, but accomplishes the work he wills it to accomplish. The gospel passage is a continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 7 through 15, in which our Lord teaches his disciples to pray as loving children of a loving Father, who knows our needs before we ask, and who calls us to forgive others as he has forgiven us. Following the homily, we will be joined by Rachel Master Giacomo, who has a remarkable journey of knowing the Father's love through trials and betrayal. Rachel and her husband, Rich, have worked as foreign missionaries with Family Missions Company, and you can find out more about FMC at FamilyMissionsCompany.com. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Today on this first full week of Lent, we're given in our scripture readings on this Tuesday a reflection on one of the main pillars of Lent. Of course, there's prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, as we heard in our gospel on Ash Wednesday that sets the tone for the rest of the 40 days of Lent. And that pillar of prayer is the foundational one. And in today's gospel, our Lord, in teaching on prayer, gives us something that is worth meditating throughout this day upon that our Father knows what we need before we ask Him. To call on God as Father is a uniquely Christian thing to do, especially in the way we mean it. And when we call on God as Father, we don't just mean that He's our Creator, He's our Maker, He's our Manufacturer. But through the holy waters of baptism, God has become our Father in the same way that He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he is the source of our life and cares for us and loves, for us, loves us in the same way that he's the source of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who in becoming man loves him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, cares for him and guides his every step. The love of the Heavenly Father is the foundation of Christian prayer. And our Lord tells us, your Father knows what you need before you ask. Our Father knows us and loves us and provides for us. The conviction of this, which is really the gift of wisdom, to understand who God really is, he's our Father who loves us, is the right disposition for prayer. Prayer is not your idea or my idea. We don't just wake up one day and think, you know, today I'll pray. But prayer is that constant calling from our Father, from the Trinity from which we come to the Trinity with which we return at the end of our life. Our Father calls us to prayer because he loves us and desires to be with us. And so prayer is simply a response to the Father's love. And the Christian response is loving trust in a Father. Our first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, we hear that God's will is always done, just 
As from the heavens the rain and snow come down and don't return until they've accomplished their work, so is God's word. Our Father is the source of all creation. And he loves us, but he's also the all-powerful, almighty God. And so whatever happens on this side of heaven, whatever happens in this world, God is either directly causing it from his love for us, or he is allowing it if it's an evil that takes place or a suffering or a trial or adversity. He's not necessarily the source of this, but he allows it for some greater good, our greater good. Confidence in this, that God's will is done in our life and in our world, takes an act of faith. That the same Father who loves us and is all-powerful loves everyone else we meet. Everyone else he's ever created from the beginning of time to the end and orders all things for the good of all. And in the face of evil and trial and suffering and adversity, like our responsorial psalm says, we trust in the Lord. From all their distress, God rescues the just. So when we encounter disappointment and trials, tribulations, this is not a failure of our Father, but actually a sign of his love for us. Because in the end, he does rescue us. If we are just, if we are faithful to him, he rescues us from every trial and tribulation. This is the faith of the church in our Father. And in our gospel, our Lord explicitly tells us, don't be like the pagans. The pagans think they're gonna bend God's will or the God's wills by their many prayers. They're gonna turn God's will into their, their will into God's will. This is not Christian prayer, that we try to bend the will of Almighty God in our direction by our many prayers and petitions. Christian prayer is exactly the opposite. Our will is bent to his will. And the more time we spend in prayer, the more his will becomes our will. And the Lord does desire sometimes to give us blessings that requires us to pray for it often and for a long time. But it's not because he needs to be convinced, but because our heart needs to be formed and fashioned to become a proper vehicle for that grace which, which he desires to give to the world. And so when we pray, our Father already knows what we need. He wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. And when we pray as children of Almighty God, any good child imitates their father. Any good son or daughter is like their father. And so intrinsic to our asking God for blessings in this life, our entreating him with our petitions, intrinsic to it is our commitment and resolve to be like him, to forgive the debts of others like he forgives us. And this is why our Lord tells us, unless we're willing to forgive others their transgressions, just like God forgives us, meaning God only wills our good, no matter what we do to him, no matter how many sins we commit, no matter how many times we've gotten in the way of his plan for us and each other, God the Father loves us and wills our good, never our destruction. And so it is with us, no matter how many times someone is in our ways, and no matter how many times someone sins against us, we will the good of others, not their destruction. This is the mark of Christian prayer, is that our heart is disposed and ready to forgive easily and quickly. And so as we go about our day today, let's pray. Let's pray as children of the Heavenly Father. 
And when we come to pray, those first moments, <clears throat> if you go to the Adoration Chapel, if you come to church, if you go to a room in your house, those first moments are a time to acknowledge the love of God there. To just rest in God's love for you, that everything that's on your heart, every desire, every trial, every little anguish that you're gonna give to God, he loves you and desires your good and knows what you need. That's the foundation of Christian prayer. And may the Lord give us, throughout this season of journey, this journey of Lent, a time of prayer with him, with our Father, who loves us, and may we imitate him through our penances and sacrifices more and more as his loving children. Amen. All right, delighted to welcome now Rachel Master Giacomo to the conversation. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Deacon. Thank you so much for the joy. Thank you so much for, for coming on. It's, uh, it's an exciting thing. You know, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past few months, and your family is just so unique, and what God has done in your lives is just, you know, quite the adventure. So I'm happy to share that with our, our listeners here on the podcast. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Well, tell us about your family, uh, you and your husband, Rich, and your kids, and, and what your life has been like since you got married. Awesome. Yes. So Rich and I have been married almost 10 years. This June, we will celebrate our 10-year anniversary. I'm so excited. And um, I think that the the things that characterize our marriage the most are probably our experience as foreign missionaries and um, our commitment to foreign missions, um, as well as our adoption journeys. Rich and I have been blessed to both foster and adopt, um, and our two children through adoption are the absolute joy of our lives. They're our whole world. And so our family's been really rocked by adoption and, um, and also by, by serving the poor and preaching the gospel um, in third world countries. Well, that's quite a life, uh, 10 years of marriage. That sounds, sounds like you're living it to the full. That's awesome. Praise God. We hope. We hope so. <laughs> well, and you know, our, our readings say, of course, the, the Our Father, um, that pillar of prayer of Lent, and our Lord teaches us to pray with the Our Father. And, um, you know, when I was praying about who to talk about this with, you know, the, what was on my heart was this idea of someone who had to really trust in the Father's love for them through a difficult trial or time. Um, and then when at the end of the gospel passage, our Lord tells us we have to forgive others if we want that same father to forgive us, um, someone who's journeyed on that path of forgiveness in maybe a remarkable way. And so anyway, to talk to some mutual friends of ours, um, your name came up. And so um, I guess why don't we start there? Like, what's your journey been like um, with, with those ideas, those t those themes? First of all, I am I'm so humbled and, and grateful to be able to share a little bit about this. There's nothing that I love to speak about more than than the love of God the Father. And um, and especially his love in the midst of trial and suffering. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible thing. Um, what the saints teach us about about suffering and how we can truly um, unite ourselves to our blessed Lord Jesus crucified uh, when, we, when we take our sufferings and we offer them in, in either expiation for our own sins or in reparation for others. And there's some sort of a, 
a gift, like a pearl of great price when we understand what it means to suffer with Jesus and not let anything go to waste. Um, when I was really young, I was 13, my dad died tragically, and my dad was my world. And I remember in the aftermath of all of that, experiencing a darkness so great that it almost enveloped me. I just, you know, I felt um, helpless, and I, I loved God, and I wanted to be near to God. I wanted to be holy, but this darkness was so overwhelming for me. Um, I couldn't do it on my own. You know, I couldn't do it on my own. I needed grace. I needed grace and that supernatural outpouring of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. I needed grace to break forth into my life. And um, I remember clinging to the scriptures and just getting up early before going to high school and just reading the word of God and, 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 and knowing that the father said, I, you know, he would speak to me. I will, I will complete the good work I started in you. And I realized this is not so much about me, you know, pulling it together as a, as a, as a Christian and, you know, being some holy ruler. This is about me depending on God, my father, to figure it out, to fulfill that good work that he started in me. And when I, when I switched my understanding and just relied on him as my daddy, that's when the grace was just pouring forth in my heart in new ways. And, um, you know, I learned to trust God now as my daddy. Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's just an, an enormous, enormous, transformative, very powerful thing that can occur when we, um, when we see God the Father as a daddy. And when he we realize he's not looking at us like we're just his pets. He's looking at us. He wants to see his, his, his daughter and his son. He wants to see the image of Jesus when he looks at us, his beloved children. And um, Jesus was crucified. You know, and so if we can take our sufferings and unite them to Jesus crucified, we become more like him and more pleasing to the Father. Wow. So I guess that, that journey that every Christian has to take of, you know, their, their earthly experience of fatherhood has to somehow transcend to become an awareness of the father in heaven. Um, this was not, I guess, like a, a luxury for you. It's not like you could wait till you were older. When you were 13, you had to face that reality, um, you know, that your, your dad was gone, but now this heavenly father has to fulfill that role. Um, so, what I mean, what was that like at that time? You're just so young having to face that uh, head on like that. I'm sure there was anger. I'm sure there was pain. I'm sure there was all the things. Um, you know, how, how did that relationship with your father kind of evolve in those teenage years that are so difficult already, you know? Yes. Well, our Lord, you know, again, his grace is, is sufficient. He, he, he called me deeper and deeper. I just fell more in love with with Jesus and, and with the Father and, and experienced that love in a very real way in my life. And um, I became truly dependent on God. And, you know, you're sharing about in the homily how God knows what we need, you know, before we ask him. It's not that I needed my dad to die. And it's not that God willed my dad to die. But when he allowed that, 
the, the grace that ended up welling in my heart for God the Father is it's just God, God brings beauty from ashes. He, he, he brings good things out of horrible things. Mm-hmm. And um, my relationship with, with the Father blossomed um, from that place of deep barrenness and pain and, and nothingness. And now I, I rejoice. You know, I, I take such joy in that. And, and it's actually very similar um, when I contemplate my own maternity because in our early marriage, we struggled with unexplained infertility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people think that that's just the worst possible cross one could endure and that sort of thing. And now it's just unbelievable having walked that road with Jesus and what he had in mind for me in my motherhood. I'm at this place, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I would take on all of the infertility in the world just to have my babies. Mm. And that my maternity, there's something redemptive about um, adoption. And our blessed Lord invited me into that mystery, as well as my husband, Rich. There's something redemptive about adoption. And it's just now that I understand it, it's like, oh, my goodness, my heart was made for this. And yet, you know, I never really knew that until I, I experienced the cross of infertility. And it seemed so horrible at the time. But here I am now, years later, raising my children, just praising God and thanking him, um, for, for his goodness and his plan for, for our family and for our parenthood. Also, I looked back recently um, in the last couple of years at some journal entries from my childhood, and I wrote all about adoption. No kidding. Yes. I was 10 years old, I think, and I wrote about this feeling of um, it was the best thing one could do. I, I wrote the, the best things someone could do with their life is serve the poor in the, the third world and adopt babies. Wow. And as a ten, as a ten year old, as I came across that journal, it's like, you know, our little our little childhood selves are so pure and just have this ability to hear God in a in a beautifully real and honest way, and to be sort of attentive to the the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. And I was writing about that at such a young age, and then of course I go on with life and forget those things. But to mm-hmm. come across that journal, sort of in this place where I am at now, it was such a consolation to my heart to know that the Lord and his call and his mission was always there. It was just a matter of me being patient enough and to follow him and to be obedient, you know? Yeah. That, that reminds me of my own. Uh, I mean, I was, I was raised Catholic and I was raised to love the Lord, but you know, you get older and you start to realize life more. And I remember having the experience of a first, my first, let's say adult moment in prayer with the Lord in the blessed sacrament. But there's these memories of my life flooding me of, of all the times that God, the father was there. And I, I just didn't remember, or I didn't know, or I didn't appreciate, um, but how I've never been out of his hand. I've never been out of his arms. I've never been, he's never taken his attention off of me once, even though I spent years with my attention off of him. Um, he never took his attention off of me. And that, that love of God uh, became the foundation of, you know, I mean, that changed everything for me. I, I knew the doctrine. I knew, certain devotions and, and those are very important, but without the foundation of knowing that the father loves us and always has, even in our sinfulness, even in our waywardness, he's always been there loving us. I mean, how else can you be Christian except for that knowledge, right? Right. Beautiful. 
Thank mm-hmm. you so much for sharing that. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about uh, forgiveness because our Lord, in teaching us to pray for whatever reason, inserts the need for forgiveness into prayer. Which I think, if we would have wrote the script on how to pray, it'd be like you know, go to your room, light a candle, relax, um, don't do anything hard, just kind of enjoy it. But he inserts one of the hardest human activities, forgiving other people of their sins, into how to pray. Um, so talk to us about that. You know, what what the journey of forgiveness, uh, you know, what is our Lord speaking to you in this gospel passage, but also what's what's been your experience of it? Wow. Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> There's so many things in my heart that I want to say right off the bat. Um one of the, the things, the lessons from uh, the saints, particularly St. Francis, has been very central in my spiritual life just in the last couple of years. Um, have you heard the story where, now forgive me, I'm going to totally botch it, <laughs> but where one of the brothers went to St. Francis and asked him what perfect joy was? No, I haven't one heard that One of the brothers one. went to St. Saint- Okay, and again, I'm probably going to botch it, but the the gist of it is that he asked St. Francis what perfect joy was, and he listed these wonderful things and said, is this perfect joy? He even at one point, I think, said, what about converting the nation of so-and-so or just all of the nations? Would that be perfect joy, Francis? And Francis said no. And he said to the brother, perfect joy is when you knock on the door of your brother like a fellow Franciscan, and he opens the door and he doesn't recognize you, and he slams the door in your face, and he spits in your face. That's perfect joy. Mm. And what just blows my mind is that the joy of being united with Jesus when our friends betray us or when those who do not know what they do, you know, Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. But when, when we can identify with our blessed Lord and in that persecution, in that, um, you know, to be hated and despised by, by, by the world, there's no greater joy than that. And, um, I just been meditating on that for a while. And as far as far as forgiveness, you know, years and years ago, I was able to forgive the the individual in my life who harmed me the most. And this was a malicious act. It was a truly evil act. It was actually a crime. Um, And uh, what was done to me, and it was very dark. And I've got to be, I've got to be honest, forgiving him was not so difficult for me. It was much more of, God, who are you in the midst of this? How did you allow this to happen to me? That was what I needed to um, really sit with for a long time. But many people do have a hard time forgiving um, their enemies. And in in my case, it was all grace. And in every case, it has to be all grace. We, We can't come up with this on our own. We need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in order to impart forgiveness. Um, and I found that oftentimes it's not an emotional thing. It's a decision. We do it out of obedience. Um, you know, the, the Lord gives us the grace to just to just do it, to forgive. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable, really, when I look back. When I forgave my perpetrator, it was almost an immediate 
outpouring of justice that started to flow within the situation. The situation started to be brought to light and the Lord's justice actually manifested in a very profound way. And I've, I've been able to meditate on the Lord's justice as his mercy. You know, he wants, he wants us to, to repent and, um, to all of us, including the man who hurt me so much. He wants us to take responsibility and truly repent of our sins so that we can get to heaven, you know, and, 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 um, so God, it is all his grace, but he's given me a heart of mercy for that, for that man. And I've been able to recognize that justice has been the greatest mercy in his life, bringing this, this horrible thing to light and, and, um, allowing our blessed Lord to, um, you know, sort of the concept of a severe mercy to, to shine a light on one's dark deeds so as to hopefully um, save them in the end. Mm -hmm. Well, what would you make of our Lord connecting our ability to forgive even mm -hmm. the worst offenders to the Father's forgiveness for us? Um, yes. I guess, can you speak to, it seems almost unfair, <laughs> but why does it make sense? Like, why is that logical? especially in your experience of having to face this in a truly painful and remarkable and, um, you know, what you've gone through, like what have you learned about this inner logic between a forgiving heart and a heart that's ready to be forgiven by the Lord? That's a wonderful question. And I'm not sure I have much of an answer. I just know Jesus and his grace is giving me the ability to confess my own sins mm -hmm. and to make my life right with, with the father. You know, the desire of my heart is to get to heaven and I know that I need a savior. And, uh, the more I fall in love with him, the more I want to see others get to heaven too. Even the worst of sinners, I don't will, you know, I think, I think the majority of us don't really want to see someone burn in hell. You know, even the worst of sinners, I think, I think that God created our hearts in such a way that we, you know, that we are, we are made in his image. We, we truly do desire deep down, um, justice to be done, but we desire the, the good, you know, um, for souls to be saved. And I, I, I just know, we know, I mean, our Lord tells us you must forgive so that you may be forgiven. And, um, and again, that, that's, that has haunted people before. I know, uh, that's why I like to emphasize with friends of mine who struggle with forgiveness. This doesn't mean that you forget what happened. It doesn't mean that there's no justice for what happened. Um, but you must forgive. And the sooner that you do just make that decision, again, it doesn't have to be an emotional thing, but the, the sooner that you do, the greater the freedom and the sooner the freedom, the sooner you will experience that, that freedom in your own soul, you know? Well, in that freedom, I think that's one of the uh, clearest marks on your life. I mean, it's obvious you're a woman who's free. You have this like freedom and, and you have this joy where the things that have happened to you, you know, are typically the things that kind of define our life. You know, like my dad died when I was young and, um, and I experienced this trauma and, but that doesn't seem to define you. It seems that the Lord's love defines you and you're, and you're free. So 
you know, there's a lot of folks searching for that freedom who have similar circumstances in their life or, you know, there's things that happen to them that typically define. So I don't know, what would you want to say to those, to those folks about the freedom you found and, and how it's possible? Yes, no, I thank you so much. I just want to glorify God once again. It's, it's, it's amazing. The three things, again, I, we've touched on all of them now in this, not even 20 minutes, you know, the loss of my father and then this horrible betrayal that happened almost 15 years ago. And then the infertility, you know, I, if it weren't for God's grace, I'd just look at myself and think, oh my gosh, she's an infertile, fatherless victim, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not who I am because God, his love defines me. And I, it's actually those three things that catapulted me into this position where I needed God. I needed him to come through desperately, you know, and, and so those areas of my life that were once so painful and so broken are now the areas where I've experienced the most redemption and the, that, that experience of, of actually the person of Jesus just really being real to my heart, to, to me and, and um, giving me joy. And so it is, it is quite a gift. I look at those those things as my pot of gold because they've given me um, the opportunity to come in contact with my Savior. And um, Jesus really does. He makes all things new. And he brings beauty from ashes. You know, I, I'll never forget going back to a priest. Um, it was a CFR priest in, in New York years ago and confessing to him that I hated my cross. And, you know, I, I ended up telling him what my cross was, and he kind of sat, he kind of sat back. He wasn't expecting that. And, mm-hmm. um, and now, by God's grace, all these years later, through an experience of redemption, an experience of restoration, I can say I love my cross. I cling to it. I praise Jesus for it. It's the thing that has brought me into a deeper relationship with the Father. So I'm just so grateful. Wow, beautifully said, especially in this holy season of Lent, which we're still early in. Um, and I know for a lot of folks, when they go to pray, the the weight of our wounds are there, which is one of the reasons we don't want to pray. You know, um, We might tell ourselves we're too busy, we don't have the time, but the reality is a lot of times it hurts to pray because when we pray, that cross becomes obvious, number one, that, that call from the Lord to carry some kind of cross, but also the wounds and the pains and, and the things that that happen in life or are kind of there waiting for us too. And, um, it's, it's easier to just kind of like, I don't know, not deal with it or not, uh, not embrace that, that cross. But, um, anyway, so I guess as some, some closing thoughts as people are just starting on their Lenten journey, really, there's plenty of weeks left. Um, you know, how would you encourage folks to, to really pray like the Lord tells us today and, and to not run from those uncomfortable crosses that, uh, don't seem joyful yet and don't seem like, something you want to embrace. Yes. Again, again, that emphasis on what our, our blessed Lord promises us, what we read through the scriptures. Every, every time I've been faced with a, well, not every time, but I, I th- I'm thinking of two specific times where I've been faced with a cross that seemed too heavy for me to carry. There was that um, that sense of 
a word from, from the from the Lord that a promise that he was going to um, carry me through it. And like I said, with my father's death, I really clung to that scripture verse where, where God promised that he would complete the good work that he started. And years later, when I was struggling with, um, sorry, I've got a little one crying in the background, but when I was I struggling sorry at all. with, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> when I was struggling with, um, am I ever going to recover from, from the betrayal that I experienced? My life seemed that it was in shambles as a result of it. And, um, the scripture verse from Joel, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Joel chapter 2, 25. I clung to that. I clung to the promise of God, my father, that he was going to carry me through. This wasn't so much about me carrying my cross so perfectly. It was the cross carrying me. It was Jesus carrying me. You know, it's kind of like that. It's so cliche, but that footprints poem, mm-hmm. you know, of, Looking back at our time, the times in our life where you know we're faced with with um, unbearable suffering or invitations to really sacrifice, and uh, it's Jesus who is carrying us, and He gives us the grace to to walk with Him and carry our cross well with Him. And I think just rem- remembering that and focusing on His His grace um, at work in us, because I'm a big fan of St. Therese. I, just the little way, you know, I can't yeah. do this, Lord. I, I don't have it in me. you got to come through here, God. You know, especially when it comes to big Lenten sacrifices and whatnot. <laughs> I need the Lord's grace. I, I am a weak thing. And yet it's when we discover that and admit it that his grace just pours forth in abundance. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I can't thank you enough. This has been great. Thank you so much. Oh, what a blessing. Thank you so much, David. All right. God bless. God bless.